Hey, welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Check us out on the web at missiodeschicago.com. Jesus, concerning Jesus. And it reads. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Natali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations. By the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as the warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. For to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish This, this is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Let me just pray for us. Father, I just thank you today uh, for your word. I thank you for these glimpses throughout history of your coming and how God is not slack and bringing his purposes or promises to pass. I thank you, Father, for how good you are and how wonderful you are to us, and that we couldn't begin to imagine what you have in store for us, but we don't have to imagine that hard because they all unfolded in Jesus. So today, as we worship and uplift Jesus and remember that he is the foundation for everything. And I thank you for that, Father. Let our hearts be open to receive from you. Let your spirit do its work upon hearts, um, delivering from darkness, delivering from sin, delivering from every bondage that would keep us captive. In Jesus' name, amen. So today I'm speaking about Jesus, the light of the world. Seems like a pretty easy subject, you know. Jesus is more than just a season. You know, this is around a time where you start to hear those cliche terms, you know what I'm saying? Jesus is the reason for the season, or keep the Christ in Christmas. You know, anybody gets really upset when you put Xmas? They're like, man. And Jesus is upset as well, because he is not just the reason for the season. He is the reason for everything. So in everything, the season exists. So yes, he is the reason for everything. Today, like, our understanding of light and darkness has been colored by cultural norms and cultural symbols, so much so that racism thrives, so much so that intolerance, indifference, and injustice thrives. But I want to show you that the light that Jesus brings has nothing to do with color. It has nothing to do with 
the sun outside, the darkness that comes at night. And these have been symbols that have been arrayed for different purposes, even within ourselves psychologically. But that the light that we talk about when we say Jesus is the light of the world and not the light in the world, therefore, he holds all things together. Upon them, a light has shined. And all these prophecies throughout scripture are beginning to unfold these moments of Jesus coming to show up. You can go from Isaiah, the, maybe the, one of the most well-known Old Testament prophets, prophets um, Isaiah, Elijah, Moses, an Old Testament prophet who saw a glimpse of Jesus in the future. He said, God, show me your glory. And God showed him his glory. I believe that was a glimpse of the glory that would be all contained in his son, Jesus Christ. You go from the minor to the major prophets, even Daniel all got a glimpse of this thing that would happen in the future. But another name for Jesus is not just the savior of the world, or as he was at that time, the savior of a Jewish origin. He was also called the light of the Gentiles. Because he, like the sun that exists outside, shined upon men, no matter what they believed, a light. That the generosity that was displayed in Jesus Christ was one that had not happened before. Where without prejudice, he shined upon everyone. So it wasn't just the Jewish prophets who saw a glimpse of this. There were also Gentile thinkers and believers um, who saw this, who got a glimpse of it. There are some who believe that even the Greek philosophers had an understanding of Hebrew scripture because of the way that they formulated thought. In 37 BCE, which is just means before the Common Era, Virgil wrote this in the fourth eclogue, for thee, O boy, first shall the earth until pour freely forth her childish gifts. Thy very cradle shall pull forth for thee caressing flowers, and a serpent too shall die. Virgil was the greatest of Roman poets. He was also one that was esteemed by Dante, who may be the greatest artist who ever lived. He wrote the Divine Comedy. But if you look in writings of Plato and Socrates and Aristotle, even a little later, these were very Gentile thought leaders, but they had an understanding that there was someone coming. There was someone even on the way. The Gentiles had the same kind of emptiness that existed in their history, in their hearts, that could only be filled by Jesus. But what they didn't understand is that this light wasn't just a great prophet. He wasn't just the poet of the spirit or the bridegroom of the soul or um, the son of man or just the son of God or some wise, genius person who existed upon earth. He was the very foundation for all creation. That is a different kind of light. That is not enlightenment. Knowing the right things and having the right wisdom, having the right books in your library. You know what I'm saying? You ever see people do like videos and they like in front of their bookcase? <laughs> like, am I supposed to believe you read all those books? Or <laughs> it was just a good background. I don't know. <laughs> so I'm never going to do that. If you ever see me do that, okay, call me out on that, okay? <laughs> Look at all those books. Wow, that's awesome. In Luke 2.32, Simeon, after he lays his eyes 
on Jesus brought to the temple. He says, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel, Jesus Moses asking God, show me your glory. Who is the glory of all the people of Israel? None other than Jesus Christ in the flesh who we get so used to. You know, it's just like if, I, if we have to have the word Christmas to declare the name of Christ, there's a problem. It is a name that is worth declaring all times of the year. And I know so many people probably already say that this time of the year. But as the foundation for all creation, when we declare the name of Jesus, it begins to animate all creation. Why do you think your heart woke up in such a way when Jesus called you and you responded to the call and confessed his name, Jesus Christ, as my Lord and Savior. Why, it was something inside of you that was placed there when you were created. It is the light that holds all things together. He is the light of the world, not the light in the world. The logos of all creation. In John 1, And this verse is so nice, you got to read it twice. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Dang. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And God says, let there be light in the beginning. And the word was God, and the word was with God. When God declared those words out, let there be light, and animated the world, this is the difference between Jesus and everyone else. You see, if I read Plato on a piece of paper and say Plato out loud, it's the same thing. If I read Socrates on a piece of paper and say Socrates out loud, it's the same thing. There is something different about declaring the name of Jesus. Not only does it animate, create, it points to the very structure of all things. You don't look like you believe me yet, but you will in a second. In the beginning, he was there. And that word in Greek for the word there is logos. Logos is purpose, beginning, reason, structure. It's reason. So when we say the reason for the season, Jesus is the word, that logos word that holds all things together. 
And then when it is spoken, it is powerful. When I think Jesus is not as powerful as when I say Jesus Christ. When I declare him over every situation. His light doesn't have the same access when I'm just thoughtfully considering scripture as when I get up, you know what I'm saying? I grew up with a mother who would close her door and would intercede. She would pray the name of Jesus over everything. She would declare his name over everything. I just cover my body, I just cover everything in the blood of Jesus. While we're, and I do this now before we go on a field, uh, field trip, before we go on a road trip. I do the same thing. Father, just cover this car in the blood of Jesus. I think so many times the enemy will surround us with darkness because we can't declare the light with your mouth because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It doesn't say reading, reading by the word of God. It says hearing. That's why sometimes when you're reading scripture, it would be really good to read it out loud to yourself. Why? It actually builds up faith in you. We, in this Western world, we love to consider and meditate on things. Meditation is, is awesome. It's amazing. But there's something about opening our mouths and declaring the name of Jesus. Because even God had to do it to create the world. How do you think you're going to create a better situation in your life without opening your mouth? It's necessary. Declare, declare the name of Jesus. Now, we can be a little um, iffy in our understanding about darkness and light because of the cultural connotations that they exist in. Black criminality, for one. As a black man, I understand that. White innocence, in another way, where there is sometimes people can do the most horrific things. And not only are they still considered innocent, we will worship them with our documentaries about their crimes. Wow, how amazing is that innocence? That even in a place where your crime is very well documented and understood, we will still worship at the altar of being amazed at this dark thing that you've done. Now, that's, that's darkness. See, people have been pitted against each other, black and white, because, you know, that's light, you know, that's darkness, the dark ages, the dark continent. All that means to man is things that you don't know, you don't understand, that are mysterious. That's why Africa has been considered the dark continent, not because people are dark there, because so, for so long, nobody had explored there, didn't know what it looked like. But that's just a cursory understanding of darkness and lightness, but you look like you don't believe me yet, so. <laughs> Our fascination with crime. But Jesus forms a bridge to a different understanding of light and darkness. And where else does it start but at the beginning? But I didn't put that up there because I want you to look at it yourself. So in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, verse 1, he creates the heavens and the earth. Verse 3, he creates the light and the darkness. Verse 6, he creates the firmament. Verse 9, he creates the water. Verse 11, he creates the plants that yield seed and all good kind of things and trees. And in 14, he creates the heavenly bodies. 
So when John is saying the word was God, the word was with God, he was the light of men that went out. This is God declaring the first thing God said is let there be light. So the word is with Jesus in the beginning, and that was him partnering with Jesus. That's how your words can be with you and a part of you. Let there be light that goes out. I believe he's declaring the presence of Jesus, the Logos word, there with him. The heavenly bodies aren't created to verse 14. What does that mean? That means plants were surviving without the sun. How did they survive without the sun and the moon and tides and all this stuff? Maybe it's because it's not necessary. Now, I know the trees turn brown out there when it's a certain time of the season and we're all convinced that would happen. Like, man, that sounds like, that's science, bam. You're talking about something else. I don't know. It's crazy. But in his love and his mercy and his joy and his humility, Jesus doesn't mind sharing the credit for creation with creation. But obviously, if the heavenly bodies weren't created till later in the story, then they're dependent upon something else. Dependent upon the word that's spoken out. Let there be light. The very structure for all things. So when Jesus is considered the light of the world to all mankind, maybe the heavenly bodies are the closest analogy we have to it, but they don't tell the whole story. I know so many times we have sadness, seasonal affective disorder that happens when the sun is not shining as much. Is there like a, a summer happiness disorder? No, it's not a disorder because it's joyful, I guess. And that's a serious thing that people deal with. And I think in some ways, we can be always under some, some external circumstance or situation. But what Jesus calls us into is understanding that he's walked through all these things with us. But he's also created all things. He's not just the reason for the season. He's the reason for everything. Everything. Imagine inheriting a company, a huge, huge company, and you decide to go clean the toilets. You can make any decision that you would like. For hire, fire, whoever you want to do. And you say, I'm going to start at the lowest place and be beholden to the circumstances. This is Jesus entering this world as an innocent child, yet the innocent light of mankind. But we have a choice. We can choose the innocence that's given to us by a cultural world that really doesn't understand light and darkness. Or we can adhere to the one Savior and King, the light of the world, whose love creates in us. In Psalm 51 and 12, 
Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. That this story of creation is Jesus redeeming us. That he's creating a world and redeeming us. You know, imagine making, I guess you do this with kids. You know, imagine like cleaning your house and you know it's just going to be horrible the next day still. It's like, you're like, oh, this is awesome. <laughs> like, this is the blank canvas we give kids every day. It's like, put everything, me and my wife, like, are exhausted by the end of the day just because we want to make sure everything is clean. We're going to wake up and throw everything everywhere. It's like, no! That's what creation is like to Jesus, I would say, you know? A great analogy for that is uh, the movie Mother, which can be a little gruesome, but um, Darren Aromsky, and it's just like a woman who's trying to, like, keep her house together. You know, people just coming in, wrecking it or whatever. I'm like, God, you are so gracious. <laughs> I understand that. I get that. <laughs> but yet and still, there is an innocence for us adhering to the light of the world who is Jesus Christ. So don't worry. I'm going to get to the Christmas part, okay? Matthew 2. I'm going to get to the Christmas part. After that amazing play, you know what I'm saying? I got to put the Christmas in there. Even though it is Christ, technically. So in Matthew 2, 1 through 12, which is the account of the wise men visiting the Savior Jesus, which some could believe it was up to two years after, Jesus was born. So that gives you a different view of them bringing gifts to him, you know what I'm saying? It's like, if he was a, my daughter's turning two tomorrow, and, uh, like, try to give her some frankincense and myrrh, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Stop, Jesus, so we can honor you. <laughs> I think that brings me a lot, you know, brings me a little more joy to think that like Jesus went through the same things that we went through. People on a plane are complaining about a kid being loud. You don't, you don't remember you were that kid at one time? Oh, man. Like somebody had to deal with you too when you were two, man. Come on. Have some grace, buddy. So in Matthew 2, 1, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, and behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them, where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. 
And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring, him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Yeah, right, sucker. When they heard the king, they said, yeah, right, sucker. <laughs> they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went from before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for another country their own way. These are the wise men who followed the star east to find Jesus. Um, and so it looks like that they had seen a star and whatever way that they did it or followed it, is stars don't traditionally move east, they move west. Um, and so he could have been anywhere from a year to two years old. That's why Herod didn't really know and persecuted all the children from two and younger, just basing on when the wise men had visited. And the wise men, because they didn't know the prophecy directly and exactly, just went to Jerusalem because as a wise man, you know it's first good first to go to the king where you're coming to his kingdom. So they visit Jerusalem, and there, Herod gives them the information that they need. Oh, he's actually in Bethlehem. So they go over to Bethlehem and find Jesus there. And being warned, they did not return the same way that they came. Um, some believe that this wise, these wise men were descended from Babylon in the court of Daniel. Daniel had many prophecies about Jesus, about the Messiah coming. So they were actually wise men, but astrologists. Or astronomers who would watch the sign, watch the stars for signs. Just as when Jesus was crucified and the moon turned to blood, people would have an understanding that when God was doing something of importance on the earth, that it would be a sign in the heavens as well that it was happening. So they had probably seen the star earlier, set off on their journey. That's why they were exceedingly happy when they saw the star again. And it led them directly to the place that they needed to go. A supernatural sign of Jesus. And a murder of the innocence up to two years old was, a, was an attempt to snuff out the proclamation of the life of Jesus Christ. That so many times the attacks that happen on children and kids is attempt to snuff out the proclamation of their life the purpose that God has put them on this earth for. And that's why it's so important for us to be careful with the words we say to children or careful with the way that we encourage them or careful with the, what, what we say because there are still some things that echo in my head that I heard a long time ago that are not positive necessarily. But around the time where Moses, the same thing with Jesus, Murdering these innocents in a way to take from the world the light of the world. And Jesus, this little toddler, was elemental to the very structure of creation. That's just crazy. That God 
I had this kind of light of the world, I would put them in some vacuum sealed, you know what I'm saying, safe somewhere so that nobody could touch them. But to make this gentle, precious life so accessible to the destruction of the world is a miracle in and of itself, which is a wonder how any of us got here. This is amazing. You're sitting here. That we're not these hardened things that are impervious to hurt and impervious to the things that happen in life. But like Jesus, we are called to rest in that same innocence of who he is. A bruised reed he wouldn't break and a smoldering wick he wouldn't snuff out. That he would live a life that was truly blameless, that's not necessarily dependent on what the world does. What if I told you that only what you do for Christ will last? That all the things you can accumulate, all the gifts you can get, all the things you would do, maybe you would stand at the other side of eternity and only be able to remember what you did for Jesus. Only be able to see what you did in the service of Jesus Christ. Because as the eternal one, who all creation undergirds, he undergirds all creation. Therefore, that is what has the staying power. Like, what? That is crazy. How much of my life is not arrayed to bring glory to Jesus? We're talking a lot now about generosity and about joy. How much of my generosity and joy is not arrayed to please Jesus? To please myself, necessarily. How much will we have to reflect on in eternity with Christ? But my charge to you today is to confess the name of Jesus. No matter what situation you're in, Band, you want to come up? No matter what situation you're in, no matter what things look like, I urge you to confess the name of Jesus. Sing the name of Jesus. Sing the name of Jesus over all, over all. That when God created the light and separated it from the darkness, that means wherever the declaration of his name exists, that darkness cannot take the same space. What is our understanding of it? You know, just like a dark room or something. But it's the chaos, the destruction that happens with purposelessness. I can't promise you that your situation will completely change and transform, but I can promise you, you will by declaring his name. And I know that seems very simple, and it seems like it should be more complicated than that, but it wasn't complicated for God and it shouldn't be complicated for us that declaring this light and this life 
will change everything for us. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. And I believe this thought and idea is summed up in Romans 10, 1 through 13. This is Paul writing to the Romans. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto him, unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So I want to pray for you if everybody want to close your eyes. Come in here. This is a moment. to confess the name of Jesus over our lives, over our situations. And if you don't know Christ, if you have never confessed Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to do so. If there's something that's stirring in your heart as I'm sharing, if you would just like to raise your hand, we'll pray this prayer for you, this confession of Jesus over your situation. And I promise, I can't promise your situation will change, but I can't promise you will be changed. You just show me your hand.